This is Global Ambitions, your 15-minute window into the minds of localization and international go-to-market experts. Discover how they respond to their biggest challenges. Here's today's host. Hi, my name is Stephanie Harris, and I'll be your host today for this episode of Global Ambitions. Our guest today is Andy Anderson, and he works on international product growth at Tinder and also has done international growth consulting. Andy, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. So today we're going to be diving into the world of global ASO, or that's App Store Optimization. But before we get into that, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about you and your professional experience? Sure. So I've been working for Tinder for a while and have four and a half years, and I've actually been working on international product and localization and, and all of the above that that entails uh, at Tinder since that time. That's been really fun. I actually started in localization probably accidentally, like many people out in the industry. It was my job prior. I worked at a language service provider, and that was kind of my initiation into this. But beyond that, I'd been in the international field to some capacity as most of my life as an adult. I did international relations, was my studies at the university. And then through my early career years, I guess, if you will, I was doing a lot of traveling and kind of working abroad here and there, volunteer, whatever I could do just to get some international experiences. And so I think all that really transitioned and culminated into this role where I'm at now and kind of the career path and trajectory that I'm in being in you know, international product and really focused on helping companies to reach more people globally. So languages, culture, all of those, my, my nerd keywords, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, before we get into the nitty gritty of ASO, maybe a more broad question for you coming into a mobile first company, what's one of the biggest challenges that you faced with the global growth aspects? Yeah, I think whenever you start to think about a company, if you kind of break out the words into like international or global, I think a lot of people use use words in this industry very interchangeably. Like they say translation and localization or global and international and, and all these words. But if you kind of break them out and define them differently, operating globally week to week is a good bit different than operating internationally. If you're operating internationally, you might be in a few markets here and there. If you're operating globally, you really have to be scaled and you have to be able to have efficient processes that help you week over week. And that requires having tooling in place, automations in place, and then just processes that allow you to be scaled and continue to be that way. Because the last thing that you want from kind of an operational perspective is that the international side, or whatever that entails at, at this specific company, is the stop point between something being released or something being launched or whatever. You never want that to be the case. So I think probably one of the biggest challenges is making sure that your operations are consistently scaled and consistently you know, operating to, to speed. Yeah. When you're looking at getting all of those different processes in place, did you have a certain priority? Like this is priority one that needs to get done and then we can sort of flesh out our tech stack or how would you recommend that? I think you really have to first, you know, starting like at a company that's just starting to go international, maybe first steps going into the global sphere is that you've got to take people on the team and really see where they're shall we say, losing time, you almost have to look at it from a logistics perspective and really see like where is the best value for the time that you're spending and what kind of tasks can be either automated or kind of maybe pushed to some other group or something like that. And I think mm -hmm. you, you need to really go through and figure out what are those inefficiencies 
and what can you focus on improving your time? Like, so for example, if you're doing a lot of copying and pasting across languages, like in spreadsheets and all that, which is some people in early companies still have to do that. Unfortunately, can we be doing this better? Can we be improving that process? Do we have to do this every week? Cause that's probably wasting a lot of time on the team. And so I think consistently focusing on areas where you're freeing up time for the team is a really good practice to go about, but that entails having the right partners across the company, like to your point, uh, do we have the right tech stack in place? Do we have the right partners internally? Like is the engineering helping us to build out these processes, automation helping, you know, with these things, mm-hmm. um, this kind of mentality. But I think, uh, to add to that, I would say probably making sure that you have the right people in place as well is because a lot of people think that you just hire one or two people for international and you just kind of like, oh, that's just the thing in the corner. But it actually should be, and, and what I typically advocate for and, and really believe across the industry is that any kind of international core at an HQ operation should be a very functional part of product and integrated into mm-hmm. product. Because I think what where a lot of companies go wrong is building it out as a service sector or support sector where it's on the side. That does not benefit the company. It just definitely does not benefit the mobile age. You need to be a core part of the product to be the most successful. And I think that's mm-hmm. the mentality that separates a lot of really great apps from mediocre ones is, is where you go in that path. Right. Okay. So I guess the next question would be jumping into our ASO topic. I know a lot of people are familiar with SEO, search engine mm-hmm. optimization, but may not know much anything about app store optimization, ASO. So can you just share with us a little bit about ASO and what is it? What does it do? What does it yep. need? Why, why is it important? Well, so the way that I would explain ASO to someone who doesn't know anything about ASO, I would explain it in two ways. One is that you can think about ASO as, as SEO for a specific app store. And when I say app store, I'm using the general lowercase version, not the app store. I'm using app stores in Google Play Store, the app store, and then several other stores that exist on the market. But it's basically is the SEO for those uh, stores. And what ends up happening is that it all lives inside of its own ecosystem. Then that's why it's a lot different. You have the World Wide Web, which is SEO, which entails everything. Literally, you put something out there, a blog, a web page, anything, it can be found by any searching person in any language they want. But whenever it comes to content and ASO, uh, it has to be very different because it's tailored to the specific ecosystem of the store itself. And each of them have slightly different algorithms, slightly different touch points, ways that they go about actually providing content in that. And then on top of that, I would say if you're a mobile company, and so meaning that you don't have any really web application, we do, uh, we actually have a web app. Some people may know about that, but we have Android and iOS app obviously as well. For those, you have to realize that 99% of everyone who will download your app is going to have to download it from one of the app stores. So they're either going to see an ad and they click on it. They're going to find this organically, which are the only real two ways. It's either paid or organic are the main two ways that people are going to find your app. And so, or at least in bulk, shall we say. Mm -hmm. So if you're paying a lot of money for ads and you're not doing anything organically, you're probably missing out on some organic numbers. And that could be quite significant for you as a company, or it could be not that significant because it depends on the industry of the app. There are some B to B apps and you're not really looking at mass downloads. You're actually like focused on a specific service. That's one type of thing, but for B to C apps or kind of more mainstream in terms of um, mass market apps, you're really like organic is where you're going to be getting the majority of your traffic in terms of that. So the best way that I like to explain it is it is literally a storefront. So if you think about yourself walking down a main shopping street in any country in the world, if you're walking down the street, what is the trigger 
on a specific store that makes you look and say, oh, I want to look in that store. Like, is it a keyword? Is it um, mm. the visuals of the store? Whatever. And then when you get in there, your download point is purchasing something, right? So when you get into the store, you're looking around. Is it that they have exactly what you're looking for? Uh, is it that there's a specific thing that catches your eye in there and you're just like, yeah, I definitely want to purchase this. So you can really think about it as basically the virtual mm -hmm. version of that. And so if you do that, plus the SEO side, you kind of realize that, okay, I get it. There's search involved, but then also there's a lot of conversion to it. And you, you kind of think about it in that way. So that's, that's kind of the gist of the way that I would describe ASO. Okay. So how, how would you even go about starting or setting up a global ASO strategy? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And I think the first, one of the, well, I don't know if there's an actual order of operations, but if I would say some of the priorities, I would say that you've got to think about ASO in terms of where does your company fit into ASO in general? So for example, what type of app are you? What does the industry look like? What does the competitive landscape look like? Which languages do you currently support and drive as a company? So those are all important questions to ask yourself. And then once you've answered those questions, I would say applying that into a strategy is figuring out, okay, where are you active as an app? Where will you benefit like in languages? So if you're an app and you support five languages now, you would be best to yeah. focus on those languages. But if you support 50 languages or 55, like we do, you really need to be thinking like holistically, not an internationally, like you need to be thinking more globally. And so you kind of need to figure out what are the regional practices? Because going back to earlier in the call, if you get to a uh -huh. global status in terms of language support, it's not ideal to update 50 languages every single week in terms of ASO. That's not really scalable, right? right. So you kind of need to come up with yeah. uh, some best practices regionally. So like, what is your regional approach to these 10 markets or, you know, the European sector, or the APAC sector or something? Uh, when you get into like country specific nuances on ASO, which we've done and other companies do, but mm -hmm. uh, it's it's really difficult to scale to where you're doing that at every single country level. So you kind of need to think about ways to break up right. the world in terms of your specific service product offering, like whatever that is, where is your market fit? How do you market the product in these different regions? And then develop a strategy around that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when you double click into some of that, you've got on the search side keywords, your keywords they really need to be localized and not translated. Like there actually needs to be real, real research, right. real tangible hands-on keyword understanding of like, what is the competitive landscape? What are, what are the search terms that people will be finding apps like ours in, in those markets? I think that's like really important. But then on the side of other optimizations, it really depends on the market because it can be really complicated to understand any type of app. It doesn't matter what your value prop is, what, you know, what the landscape might be in that market and things. And then on top of all that, I would mm -hmm. advocate for, you know, just testing and, and really like not only coming up with ideas, but does it work? Does it show in, in the numbers and things like that? Because what you don't want is all of your work to just be uh, in vain where you, you do work in a couple of different markets and then, you know, you're not able to really see what the results have been or whatever. You need to kind of have some guardrails in place, some tracking, yeah. some understanding of, of what you're doing, because that benefits in a number of ways that goes down the line of advocating for the work, but then also understanding the ROI on the effort that you and the team might be putting into something. Yeah. Do you have any lessons learned or examples that you have from your history of doing this where you can tell people, you know, make sure you don't do this sort of thing? You've talked about, you know, setting up the testing process and all of that. Is there anything that you would say, don't do this, it's a waste of time or do, don't do do this yeah. because it turned out very poorly well, or anything I think like that? In general, I would say that I tend to be uh, very experimental with a lot of the projects that we do. Like I'm of the mentality that if you have a good idea and you've got a good hypothesis behind it, like... 
as long as it's on brand and as long as it's something that could benefit the business, I'm, I'm cool with trying. And I think it's, it's a good idea because that's how you get learning. So I think being experimental, trying things, pressing buttons, you know, if you will, those kind of things are really helpful. And so one thing I would say is don't be afraid to just take chances and take risks because you don't know what may be impactful and what may not be. And you, you need for your specific app, your specific brand, it's really helpful to try different things and see what might be working in your industry because you could be a totally new app in your field and you might be doing something innovative and it might be cool to showcase that. But then other apps, there might be a very competitive landscape and it might be like, you know, there might be a need to align with what other people are doing in that category or something. And so I think being experimental, not being afraid for things not to work out is is one learning lesson because I think a lot of companies are hesitant to change things. They're like, oh, we don't want to change that or we don't want to do this. But the thing is, is that you might be currently here and you might be like doing one thing, but then what if you do something and it makes you way over here and it, it really helps benefit what you're doing? So that would probably be one thing. Yeah. If I were to say anything else, I would say probably just really getting an understanding of what users want in different markets, I think can be helpful is like understanding what a market requests, what a market's, what's popular in a market, what you know, a feature or something like that, that could all be impactful depending on the market. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have anything else that you could give some advice to anyone who's looking at doing this sort of a localization global growth program? Yeah, I think a couple of things on this, actually. I think one one of the places that many companies, I think, go wrong is kind of what I was saying earlier in the call is that I think that they just look at international localization, whatever you want to call it, as a kind of an afterthought. It's like, hey, what can we, mm. we need to get some translations. We're seeing some promise, you know, like it's usually a, a startup company. They're like, okay, now we're looking and we're seeing, oh, there's new markets. Maybe we can expand into Spanish speaking markets, whatever. Uh, and so they just say, okay, we need translation. And they usually just pick someone on the team. Maybe that speaks the language or maybe a marketing manager right. or something. And they just kind of say, oh, you're going to do this and you're going to drive this. And then that person starts asking everyone else in the industry. They end up with language service provider, a tool, whatever the first things that pop up on Google for them are. The reason I'm saying that is because I think actually investing in this space where you hire people who really understand international markets and then also mm-hmm. that are, are fundamentally aligned with that international should be a core functionality of product will really set yourself up for the long run. It'll really, in many cases, put you ahead of a competitive landscape. A lot of startups are usually competing in a specific field, you know, like whether they're fitting a a niche or whatever. And what a lot of times happens is these startups go on this growth trajectory where they've got really great growth in a market, usually like United States or another main market where they start. And then at some point they have to stop and they have to go backwards to do international. Yeah. And then they go like six months, nine months to create this whole international plan while the other people could potentially be moving forward. So in that, mm-hmm. if you actually think about international, see, to oversimplify and overgeneralize the world, thinking, okay, we're starting in the US, we're an English app, you know, we don't need any other languages. Well, they're speaking people in the United States and the same thing with any other country on earth, transcend borders more than ever uh, now. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about it, and companies to be thinking about international almost from the beginning, not maybe not at the seed stages of, of being a company, but when you start getting funding rounds like series A, series B, whatever, you should already be doing international in my mind. It should already be a priority because you're not only opening yourself to new markets, but you're opening up yourself to markets that exist within your primary market. So if you're in the US and you're a US-based tech company, uh, don't ignore the Spanish-speaking market of the United States. It's significant. Well, great. It's been a real great pleasure to talk with you and get those insights on the industry in general, as well as ASO. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It was a pleasure. 
Thanks for tuning in to Global Ambitions. Subscribe at globalambitions.net or wherever you get your podcasts.